We're continuing a series this morning called Reimagining Church, as Anna shared a little bit earlier. And uh, this is a series we're going to be spending a significant amount of time in. Um, a series that's probably going to take us about six months, but we're going to learn in kind of six, six one month chunks. Um, and we might split them up a little bit, but we're going to follow on next week into the second block uh, of that series. And the reason we're doing this, and I think John Mann explained this last week, but I just want to say it again in case you didn't take it. Church. Sure. 
is it's the people of God who both gather together and then also disseminate into the world so that they, they can continue the mission of Jesus. That makes sense. That's a very baseline understanding. But when we get that from scriptures like this, so I just talk about gathering. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says this. All my brothers and sisters, let's summarize together. When you meet together, one of you will sing, another will teach, another will tell us a special revelation that God has given. One will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything is done so that all of you may be strengthened. That's why Corinthians 14. As this verse we go through this, we're going to begin to play this out and unpack this in a bit more detail. But we just went sketching at the moment. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, I love this scripture. It says, That was called Titan. But our greater is the hope that we have heard, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another toward acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meetings together, as some people do, but rather let us encourage one another, especially now that the day of Christ's return is drawing near. Those are scriptures that describe how the church gathers and how they come together. But then there are also scriptures that describe how the church goes out. Uh, these, these are often quite famous. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Some of the, the salty of the light of the world. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. You are like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a box. But instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. You also don't light a lamp. A room that's brightly lit. You might stand in a dark room so that you can create a environment. The church is designed to be a people that go into a dark place and provide light in that space. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority on heaven and earth. Therefore, now go and make disciples of all of the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach. These new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And you can be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a picture of the church that, that Scripture sketches for us. It, it's a little bit like a skeleton. Alright, so right now, it's, it's just the bones, there's no meat, there's no flesh on it at the moment. It needs to be pulled out a little bit, and we'll do that as we go. But it's about a group of people, the church is this group of people that are saved by Jesus, made into a family, that get together to encourage one another, and they go out into the world where they act as catalysts for the breaking in of the kingdom of God, so that the people around them will see Christ in them, and Jesus will receive glory. That's what we're about. That's what the church is about. Unfortunately, that's been a little bit altered over time. That's shifted and changed a little bit over time. Our image of church has become a little bit, I think, more complicated than Jesus really intended it to be. Let me show you what I mean. I had a lot of fun doing this, which is why I'm trying to get out front and not ask them not to do it today. Uh, this is the church that we've got. This is what Jesus created and intended. But unfortunately, that's begun to shift a little bit such that the church now really significantly involves buildings and premises. You need to have a building, a place where people can gather. And because of that, because of the culture that we live in, the church has also become to, to pursue excellence. Now, excellence is a good thing. Right? 
Because we need to be like the world. Our preaching needs to be excellent. Our PowerPoints need to be excellent. Right? Our podcasts and podcasts that we put out there need to be excellent. Need to be properly edited by video editors before they get onto the internet. Right? Our musical teams need to have a sufficient level of skill so that they can perform really well. Our intelligence and strategy has changed from being a group of people that go out into the world into a building that is attractive for people to come to. So we actually begin to say to people, we want you to, we want you to come to the church. We want you to come visit our church. How, how often, I don't know if you've done this, that will be your attempt to evangelize someone. And you say, hey, why don't you come to the church or something? Instead of, you know, actually, let me tell you a bit about Jesus and who he is. But evangelism has become a bit of a come strategy rather than a go strategy. The missional living that we get called to as God's people has, has begun to be channeled through formal ministry because we've got this big church building and a big leadership structure. And so we begin to put up and we have our professional preaching and our broadcast and our professional music. And then, we, then our, our missional living is channeled into different ministries. Right? And so we've got ministry to, to people that need certain social skills. And that's important. And that's wonderful. We've got ministry to those who are in prison and impoverished. And again, that's wonderful. We've got ministry to, to the homeless, ministry to those who need skills and job creation. And these are wonderful things. I want you to notice how I'm not, I'm not making bad judgments at this point. I'm just saying things have changed the world. And the way in which we do things is now channeled through a more structural, organized system. And this model really has been epitomized, I think, by the seeker sensitive movement, right? which is something you, you might know of Bill Hybels, you might know of Rick Warren, those sort of key leaders in the seeker sensitive movement. Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose from the Church. And there were some wonderful things that he said in that book, and there was, there was a great motivation behind it. There were a couple of key ideas that he began to establish. One of the things that he said was the best way to have effective evangelism is to meet the needs of the world in your community. Uh, I'll quote from, from his church's purpose statement. It says this, This church exists to benefit the residents of Southpac Bay by providing their spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual, and social needs. That's the purpose of their church, which he put forward in the book that he wrote. Another thing that he said was effective evangelism involves understanding your target market, unbelievers, and making your product as attractive to them as possible. Which is the gospel. Right? Any here read you from this book. What, what is the most natural way to increase the number of visitors to your church? The answer is quite simple by creating a service that Christians want to bring their unsaved friends to. So that's what they did. So they had a Christian service and a non-Christian service in their church, where everything was designed to bring people in. There are some implications of that. Because not every church is Saturday, not every church is Willoughby. But some of those ideas began to like creep out into the rest of the Western church. Where the church became a place that exists to meet the needs of people. 
product that we market instead of a reality that we live and share. Churches will be talking about marketing strategies. How we get ourselves out there. The logic of consumerism began to become a driving principle behind how the church operates. And there's a couple of things that means. In, in the consumerist mindset, uh, there is an absolute freedom of the customer to choose what they want. And they don't like it in the school, then they'll go to the school. This restaurant doesn't make nice food because there's a cockroach in the milkshake, then you're going to go to this restaurant. You have the freedom to do that. That was good to get your freedom. You can go where you want. And in addition, as the famous rule, we all know, the customer is always right. The school doesn't get to argue with the customer. But meeting their needs is the most important thing in the school. And so the customer is always right. What that's done is it's, it's made the church into a service provider. We have become a service provider and churches begin to compete with one another for consumers. And this this can become really, really toxic. And look, we planted this church here in Newsburg, and our real heart was not to steal other people's members. And so to try and alleviate that we went to death before the other churches before we set this up. And we had a banner that was put to action that said, you know, if you have another church, we're to stay there. We actually had that banner put since Brian was Right. But we but yeah, someone gets a sentence in this. But there's the Western church begins into this, this race to the bottom, if I can say that. That's a term that we used to describe the Android smartphone markets. Right? And I think it's quite descriptive where you try and people are trying to find the best value for the lowest price. And eventually it's a race to the bottom because eventually it's non sustainable. Because eventually you can't make any more value for any lower price and you go out of business. Because someone else is choosing someone else's product. One of the other things that this has done in the church is that that big budget has become a necessity for ministry. And it's really difficult to do all of this without a big budget. Meetings have become commonplace because everything runs structurally through committees and organizations. And so if you get involved in the church, you will notice there are many meetings that you need to be a part of in order for something to happen. This means some of the, I think these are these mean some of the implications that have come out of the seeker sense of movement that have been adopted into the broader church. This is the this is seeker sensitive creed. This is no longer an eternity that's just focused on the unchurched, but it's become an attitude of Christians as well. As I was doing reading for this, there was some research that suggested that in even like one of the best churches that does the seeker sensitive movement well, Berkeley. Around the next one, you know that about 10 years ago, 
motivations. One, it matters how those needs are met. But the way in which this happens, I think, is very significant and important to know the church. And we'll talk that out through the rest of our series uh, in different parts. And the second one is this, and, and this goes back to the first message that we started this series. The church is not the pastors. The church is not the leadership. The church is us. We are the church. And the church needs to be meeting one another's needs. We do that because we are the church. We are a family together. Suddenly 2,000 people get added to the church. 
Jesus was alive and he died and then he rose again and evidence to the world that he is in fact God. That he is not just a man. And people witnessed this. And they knew that the power of God is at work. And so they began to tell people about something that had actually happened. People began to be persuaded as the Spirit moved in their life and pulled them towards Jesus. And now they are united by this thing that is taboo to speak about in public because you can get literally put in jail. But you know it's real. You've got to live in life this. And so that's a scary space to be in. Right? And so what you do is you get it together. I'm like, you know, we get together this week. This is hectic. And I'm, I'm really concerned. I'm really praying for the Bible. I'm really looking for the Bible. I'm concerned that if I share the gospel with it, they're going to wrap me up to the authorities. They're going to lock me up in my house and arrest my wife and children and take them all to jail. So it's freaking me out. So I'm getting together because I need to trust God. And I need support. And I need encouragement. And I get together. And I was praying, I was trusting God, and you know what? God really worked in that last life. And you know what? Like, actually, Carl was taken to prison the other day when we got together and we prayed with him and we went to church and prayed for Peter. Right? And suddenly the prison doors opened and an angel let Peter out of the prison because to be a Christian was hectic. It was just, and you needed to be together. You needed to be together because the mission was real.
Paul was the king of evangelists. And all of us carry this deep desire. We're, we're here for a reason. And Jesus didn't just save us so we could not get our help. He called us to be a part of his people, to continue his mission. Yeah, right, that's our mission statement as a church, to continue the work of Jesus. We are united as a people of God because we are doing what Jesus has called us to do. And when we don't have that, then we pick up by offering services to people. Dead weight? I don't want to be harsh, right? but we love you. We love you. But we become a service provider because we're not united in a common mission and vision. I think that's why the early church really flourished, because they got that. They knew what it was to be a part of cause, to be following the king. And if we are going to reimagine church, we need to reclaim that duality of family on mission. I love the way the Old Testament Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 10. And we read this earlier. I've got it up here now. Let us hold tightly to the without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to act in love and good works. Let us not neglect meeting together as some people are doing. But let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of Jesus' return is drawing near. There are four calls to action in this verse. He says that's called tightly to our hope in a faithful God. We are, as a church, we are united by our hope in a faithful God. We know that God is faithful and we can trust Him. Let's actively look for ways to motivate one another to acts of righteousness for God is calling on us. Whatever the space might be, let's, let's inspire one another towards that. He says, let's make sure that we continue to meet together because we need it. Let's encourage and spur one another on in faith. Let's call out what God is doing. Let's tell one another how God is at work. Now we can all be united in this mission together. We don't lose our focus. And we can follow our King. And he says, all of this, all of this is done in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming again. That the day of the Lord is drawing near. And our time here is limited. And we have a mission to accomplish while we're here. We're not just here to cruise through this life and make it there. There's a mission that we've got. And it's in line with that mission that we hold on to God. We motivate one another. We meet together. And we encourage one another in faith. That's who the church is. We're a family that's on a mission with Jesus. So I want to, I want to encourage you with an email that I received this week. This is a different kind of email. These are the good emails. Right. And I don't know if the person who sent that is here this morning. It's going to test out the share of anonymously. Right. But it's a really wonderful email. It says this. It says, hi. I just wanted to share how blessed I was last week in Newsburg when I was approached by three young men in the church. I had been through some very trying weeks and I was clinging on to the Lord in the midst of all this turmoil. And I was waiting on days in Newsburg for my three children to be in a local cabin. And when these chaps approached me sharing the gospel, when they, when they heard I was a Christ follower, they asked if they could pray for me. And I said yes, because my children had been very difficult and my heart had been really broken about this. And so they prayed with such an anointing that I hated this. And I felt so blessed because my 13 year old son had tried to take his life 